We implemented many ideal processes. The world's most practiced method for project management. Still has been um, a catalyst in my career. Hundreds of thousands of people with a Prince 2 qualification. I've seen ITIL help organizations be more successful. The Axelos Podcast, bringing best practice directly to you. Hi everyone, this is Akshay and welcome to uh, possibly the, the bookend of the Creative Professional series. Now, depending on when this episode drops, we've either got one more Creative Professionals episode left to release, or I'm hoping I can, I can uh, convince our producers to speed up the editing process so we can release all the Creative Professionals um, episodes before this particular episode that you're about to listen to. Uh, we've got an amazing panel probably the best panel we've put together yet. And I'll introduce them in a bit, but I first wanna give props to one particular guest because they were the ones who came up with the idea for this. So you can be sure that I'm gonna be providing most of the heat and most of the questions in that person's direction. Um, when we were recording the other creative professional episodes, I think it was during the TV chef episode that Rob England said, you know what, it would be really good to have an episode where we talk about why creativity is often stifled in the workplace and what we can do about that, because we spend a lot of time talking about how we can encourage creativity. Let's talk about why people discourage creativity. And that was the sort of seed that he planted that finally gave rise to this episode. So our first guest is none other than Rob England, um, Mr. Teal Unicorn himself, all the way on the other side of the world uh, in, in uh, uh, New Zealand. Uh, Rob uh, blogs quite regularly on tealunicorn.com and he can be found on Twitter uh, as uh, at Rob England, I think these days. Rob well. underscore uh, England. Underscore. Yeah, I always forget the underscore. <laughs> always forget the underscore. Uh, so yeah. uh, at Rob underscore England. But as part of Teal Unicorn, Rob helps companies across the world uh, unlock their sort of hidden potential when it comes to creativity, organizational agility, uh, organizational resilience, and much, much more. Uh, moving northwest from New Zealand, we then come to India, and we have Sanjeev and C on. Uh, now, Sanjeev was, uh, if you remember, on the episode which featured the uh, stand-up comic, and uh, so he's going to be coming in and, and talking about uh, some of his experiences with creativity in the workplace. Uh, Sanjeev works for a startup in India called SuperOps AI. Uh, he can be found on Twitter making some absolutely hilarious videos uh, on um, at Sanjeev NC. Um, he also posts those videos on LinkedIn in case you don't do Twitter, but he's definitely a person to follow. He used to be, he used to be very, very uh, prominent on the conference circuit, and I'm really hoping that once the sort of various lockdowns lift, we'll be able to see Sanjeev uh, in person again. So Sanjeev, yeah, welcome I again. So too. Thanks, Akshay. And moving further northwest from that, we come to France. And we have Simone Jo Moore, who featured uh, on our uh, photography episode, as well as on the Creative Chefs episode. So uh, she's, she's a seasoned professional when it comes to these podcasts at this point. Um, uh, Simone is an organizational coach, uh, as well as a, a frameworks mixologist. Uh, where she dabbles with multiple frameworks to help, uh, help organizations uh, tackle some pretty knotty and complex problems. Um, and she's a really amazing person to listen to if you, if she ever speaks at a conference near you, um, because she, she blends in so much storytelling, uh, information about empathy and how the, uh, the human mind works, 
uh, talking about things like service management, knowledge management, uh, you name it, management, and everything in between. And she's just a delightful person to know. So, Simone, welcome back to the podcast as well. Thank you very much. Oh, um, if I forgot to mention, uh, she can be found on simonejoemore.com from where you can find links to all her social media platforms as well. Sorry, I should have stuck that in. So, Rob, as I said, I'm going to come to you with the first question. <laughs> yeah, bring it on. I'm, I'm, for, <laughs> for, I, I know this is audio only, but I'm rubbing my hands with glee for those of you who want to visualize <laughs> yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's let's talk about first talk about creativity itself. Now, uh, our audience have have spent a few episodes listening to various people talk about this concept of creativity, um, and I want to dig into it a little bit further on this episode. I think it was uh, on the first mental well-being episode that we talked about whether mental well-being was uh, nature versus nurture. You know, uh, a, a person's well-being, was it dictated by genetics or was it dictated by environmental conditions? And I think we can ask the same question about creativity. Is it nature or is it nurture? So which side of that divide, if you will, artificial divide, clearly, but which side of that divide would you say you'd fall? Oh, I'm a consultant, so I fall firmly in the middle. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, there's been lots of science about all sorts of characteristics of personality in the nature versus nurture debate. And, you know, as I recall, a lot of it comes in to say that it's a mixture of both. And I think that's probably true of creativity as well. Obviously, creative parents do um, pass on some genes, but they also create, provide a, a creative environment as well. And it goes on to work as well. So you, you, you hire creative people, but you also need to create an environment that nurtures that creativity as well. So, so do you subscribe to the notion in the workplace that creativity is, is key for specific domains or roles? No, I think I mean, it's we'll a universal skill that we need. Later on, mm. when we talk about why creativity might be stifled in certain areas. So flipping mm. that on its head, as we're talking about nature versus nurture and how that bleeds into the workplace, do you believe that creativity is, uh, is necessary only for specific roles in an organization? No, not at all. I think it's a basic work skill because... Uh, uh, and as more and more work becomes knowledge work, then um, more and more work becomes problem solving and creativity is essential for that. Uh, fair point. Uh, Simone, I've I seen you nodding and shaking yeah. your head and, and so on. So uh, what, what would you say in response to that? Is, are you in agreement or any disagreements there? No, no disagreements, but I think, you know, putting context around it is really important. Um, and it is, I think it's an essential part of who we are. I think it is definitely within. And one of the things Rob said is that, yeah, are we in the environment? Are we in the space? And, and that comes from whether it's you know, family or other social spaces and, and workspaces, it, does the environment exist where we encourage it, et cetera? Um, you know, one of, one of the ways of thinking about it, definitely for problem solving. But, I mean, remember when we think about uh, our 
the best problem solvers in the world are children. And part of the reason for that is because they don't have any filters. We still need filters, I think, <laughs> to a certain degree. But they they are so curious and they just ask the why. They're some of the best innovators of those that tap back into that, you know, four-year-old thinking space, if you like, and that wonder about what's going on. They ask lots of questions. They, you know, they observe like anthropologists. They'll talk to just about anybody, so they widen their perspective really well. And they just they just think differently. You know, in, in other words, they do exactly what great problem solvers and innovators do. Okay, so, so Sanjeev, I'll come to you with this next sort of branching thought then. Because, you know, growing up in India, I know, uh, you know, our parents certainly encouraged um, us to, you know, learn Indian classical music, whether that was Carnatic or, or Hindustani, or whether that was, um, you know, a specific dance form, etc. But somewhere along the way, I think when we hit the age of 13 or 14, it was suddenly all about the exams and passing the yes. exams so that you could then go get into a better pre-university college. And then it was all about passing the exams. Mm -hmm. And it sort of feels like at some point, creativity takes second uh, it, it, it become second to sort of economic prospects and considerations. Was that your experience as well? Yes, uh, I think right about the age of like you know, 13 to 15 is where creativity dies uh, in most of us because like exams are the least creative thing that you could uh, do, right? You know, you, it's, it's very set and there is no room for creativity and it's not encouraged. Like, you know, uh, in schools, even if, when you try to solve a problem, math problem in a different way, that's not usually encouraged. And I see that applied uh, in, in work areas as well, right? And I'm sure that, you know, we're going to discuss about discouraging creativity, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, it was kind of uh, stifled. But uh, my, uh, I was lucky enough to work in multiple roles where, uh, like, you know, I've been able to apply creativity, like, across sales, support, uh, marketing, and, and now product. I find that creativity serves me well in all these roles. So I, I wouldn't say that, you know, in marketing, I was able to be more creative, but I, I wasn't, uh, you know, creative in a support role. I think it's just about how we perceive creativity. So if we're going to look at creativity as like a, as a joke or a good, a good design or a intelligent fun, that's, that's not limited, right? So I think uh, it can definitely be nurtured and it applies universally in every role that we do. I think Sanjeev actually hit the nail on the head then because I think the problem of thinking about creativity or art is that we have this notion that it's purely about painting, sculpture, literature mm -hmm. kind of stuff, you know, our, our renaissance and, and those sorts of things. We tend to think of it from that perspective. But, you know, if we looked at anthropology, and I am so very lucky, I'm living in an area of France that has a very long chain of consistent human habitation, and I mean we're talking prehistory. And we have sites like uh, Les Aziz, Lascaux, Peshmel, Grotte Chauvet, Grotte de Cognac, and a lot of the archaeologists and the Paleolithic artifacts and things that have been found are full of artistic expression. And human beings, you know, where we were making things that were functional, but, you know, we're talking, you know, things that are 73,000 years old and stuff that we have drawings where they've actually used the contours of the cave to do 3D and show the shoulders of animals and or even the bone work, bone combs that have the most incredibly engraved ornamentation, which is not functional. So this, I think this is a really important aspect that we realise that, you know, cavemen were artists. And I think that this is a human thing. 
fair, fair point. Um, and uh, can, there's just yeah, an interesting thing here is that there are there's really two meanings of creativity that we're using. One is the aesthetic um, enhancement of the work that we do, and yeah. one is the spontaneity to be lateral about the work that we do. Absolutely. And, and I think creativity is 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 both of those things. Um, you know, I'm quite pa passionate about yeah. I'm passionate about the reunification of truth, beauty, and goodness. You know that works way too truthy these days and lose sight of the rest of it. So the aesthetic element's essential. I'm not putting that aside, but there is a there's an element of truth that's creative as well. There's the yeah. ability to think about things in new spontaneous ways. Mm, absolutely, uh, that, that, that's true. I, I mean, I, I think I mentioned this on the on the photography episode that you know I can I can sort of look at my career from a uh, you know the creativity I brought to my career from before I picked up my dad's old camera at my engagement and then after that because that was like for me a triggering moment because I was able to express myself so much more visually which I'm now able to bring into the workplace um, but we're, we're starting to to creep towards this uh, towards this topic of how the nature of work is also changing and what benefits that's bringing us uh, from a from a the ability to express our creativity, but I'd also like to temper this, uh, this, th that question with, well, what new risks is it also bringing? Um, so, so um, Simon, uh, would you like to go first with this question? You know, wh what sort of benefits are you seeing in, in, or, or what, what's the sort of changing nature of work that you're seeing that's enabling yeah. creativity, but then what risks are you seeing come with that? Very much coming off what Rob is also saying too, the way we think about things is really critical. And, and have we had, um, you know, the broad enough avenues in which we can um, take in new information so it gives us that ability or the new experiences. It's not just information, but the experiences that gives us that. I think there's a lot of things. We are shifting from the notion that knowledge is just about a knowledge article and following the key steps, and that's all she wrote. Um, what I found really curious uh, as part of being part of the KM world prior to IT is that it's becoming more part of a strategic flow across the organization. So we're now putting our relationship nexus is starting to extend from IT into the other areas and vice versa. Communication is two ways. We need that collaboration. So I think there's fabulous ground being made by various frameworks like knowledge-centered services and approaches like intelligent swarming, combining that work with uh, looking at liminal kinevin and sense-making. I think we're getting a better handle on what that lifeblood of knowledge flow means uh, within an organization. So you know, the benefit only comes, though, when we share the knowledge, because knowledge is quite personal in a lot of ways, because it's part of our experience. And it's not just what we've learned from our technical skills. So there's a lot of empathic collaboration, and that creates the conversations so that we can have better communication. That in turn is what I'm hoping to see is creating the wider transparency and the deeper trust in that sharing of knowledge and the experience. So there are the risks, you know, the changes in how we work and the conditions under which we work is definitely paramount. Um, 
But, you know, there's also the shifts in the activities of the roles in people as well. So I think we're getting a little bit flatter and there's certain risks in not understanding what our capability uh, are, and I'm not just talking about skills, I'm talking about having a, a competency transformation around knowledge. So Sanjeev, you know, uh, I, I mean, look, I'm not trying to dump on India, right? But <laughs> I mean, Indian culture and stratification and, you know, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of sort of cultural nuances which are very unique to Indian mm -hmm. society and the Indian workplace. So as someone who's, who's sort of worked in India your whole life, how are you seeing, are you seeing the nature of work changing, for one thing, and what risks do you see it bringing um, to, in, into, uh, you know, workplace, society, etc.? Uh, definitely, it's, I mean, it, it's changing all over the world, right? So it's definitely changing here as well. And uh, so one of the, uh, the risks that, uh, again, it, I don't personally face it, I'm, I'm happy, like, you know, being home all the time and working by myself, that's just, just the way that it works. But one of the risks that people keep pointing out saying that, you know, when you're not in the same room, when you don't have those conversations in the hallway, when you don't like, you know, meet face to face and do all those things. So that's apparently stifling creativity, but I, I necessarily don't agree, but I can empathize with that. So that is something that keeps coming up. And uh, like, you know, maybe that's a, that's a risk in the way that uh, specifically work is changing towards uh, remote. Okay. That, that, that's interesting. I, I, you know, when I, when I, so, I mean, I last worked in India like over a decade ago, but, you know, I could see that there were, there were people who were pushing against the sort of established orthodoxy, which, you know, if I can use that word, because I remember growing up in the 80s, you know, the, the, the attitude was very much you had to be a, a, an engineer or a doctor. And if you couldn't oh, yeah. cut, uh, cut it as an engineer or a doctor, <laughs> you try to become a dentist or a chartered accountant. And there was like grades of what professions were acceptable. Uh, yeah, and and I think uh, you know I started to see a lot of pushback against that, but I think I think people are much more accepting of that now. But when when I was growing up, I think if you sort of said I want to start my own business with computers, people would be like, you know, why are you throwing away your parents' hard work <laughs> and you know all the sacrifices that they made and you know all, all that sort of stuff. And I think. To an extent, I, that, that's the environment in which I grew up, and that's why I, I think to myself that sometimes creativity dies when you're sort of turn 14 and 15, because you're at least in India, because you're starting to focus on exams, which then yeah. to economic prospects and social success and, and all so, that sort of stuff. We've been brought up saying that you know there's only a one definite path, right? Like you know you you study, you finish a college, and then you get a job either as an engineer or a doctor. Like you know that's that's the only two options available to you, and that's that's kind of the only path that we've been shown. But now let's say with the internet kind of you know getting into the hands of more and more people, they're discovering that there are other fun ways to make a living, make a good living by not doing those things, right? For example, we have a lot of companies coming out of India who've shown that hey, you could go out start a company. And because, you know, thanks to a lot of uh, funding that we get, in five, six years, you could make a lot of money. It's not a risk anymore. It's just a sensible decision. Hmm. There, there is one risk. I mean, I, I think this is a risk which which hasn't come up, which, uh, and I'd be interested in get, getting some opinions back from, uh, from the, the panel. Um, I think there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of very good, um, for lack of a better phrase, thought, uh, thought leadership out there that's talking about the changing nature of work, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there's also a little bit of a danger where um, 
the nuances, the subtleties aren't explained or the contexts aren't explained. So, you know, I, I know I've gotten into many, many heated arguments in the past, back before I was with Axelos, of course, um, but many heated arguments in the past where, <clears throat> for example, um, Agile doesn't talk about change management, therefore we don't need change management. You know, this is pre Um, Or, for example, um, you know, the, the new way of working is to move work to the people closest to the work. So management decisions, governance decisions, strategy decisions should also be devolved down. Um, and I remember seeing a talk, uh, I think at Atlassian Summit two years ago, where they said, look, that's not what this principle is saying. The, the, you, it's about moving the work to the right, the, the people with the skills that are deemed appropriate to make those decisions. So of course, uh, UX, UI, the specific product function, functionality, how it's built, how it's architected, move it as close to the people who are actually building it, architecting, et cetera. People who are, uh, you know, who have the authority to make strategic decisions, that's where you delegate the strategic decision-making work. And that's the principle that we're, we're trying to talk about, not everything gets shoved down to, you know, the, the junior engineer who started last week. Sort of thing. That, that, uh, has to, that has to be another podcast, actually. <laughs> I agree with that. I was just I would going, like to take oh, that one on for at least half an hour. <laughs> uh, Rob, 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 Rob is, is slowly sort of pulling the boxing gloves on right now. I am warming up. <laughs> just, that was my knuckles. Um, you're, you're starting to talk about putting the capital X into experience here. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a, for me, the the strongest indicator of what I would call new ways of working is the book Humanocracy from Gary Hamill at the moment is is the most compelling thing from the human side which links to what we're talking about creativity from the functional side maybe brave new work but but Hamill talks a lot about humanocracy about the restoration of humanity to work and um, and so the exact mechanisms of like where do we put decision making and things like that um lately i've been thinking a lot about how you rise above all of that when when you come back to the ethics of what we're doing at work and the aesthetics of what we're doing at work um as well as the 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 science of it those things are things that i think will be sorted out contextually organization by organization. And I think there are organizations, no, there are organizations out there who are very happy to derive their strategic decisions from the coalface people doing the, the sweaty work. And, and it happens. And, and to me, that's an entirely appropriate. If other organizations decide they want to keep that centralized and in the control of a group of um, central thinkers, then that's equally appropriate in a different context. I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer there. I think we can look at considerations that are above that now, and which is why we call ourselves Teal Unicorn, because we're not particularly wedded to Lalu's vision of Teal, but that sort of thinking is above all the agile, not agile, or you know, all, all those sort of conversations become 
operational in the same way that you know we don't have the arguments about change management that we used to have in the past because that's just kind of something that you work out operationally now yeah i think what's happening with the you know uh see i don't call them new ways of working i've really switched the way i talk about that i just call it the next way of working because you know the the fact is is that over whatever period it, it it's not the new normal now it's just the next way that we've chosen that we want to go or the path that we go and i think what's happened now instead of where we've been so wowed by the technology and there's such amazing stuff out there that now we're rediscovering our humanity in that technology context and i think it's really about moving beyond how technology has defined us and now harnessing it in order to become and live as who we want to be so that question you know do you want to be a pilot or a doctor one of the things i cover it's no longer what do you want to be when you grow up it's actually who do you want to become and that question is something that we should aim at the strategic level of the organization as well as the individual because i think that's where the creativity comes in because we start becoming more creative about uh, who we are and how we operate. And those exceptional experiences that we're looking for really come about from allowing the space for the humans within our organization to flourish, um, at, you know, in their best competencies and, and, in, and having that continuous learning, growth, you know, growth mindset and allowing the experiences so that they build their resilience because we can't put resilience into people. They need to build that. So, You know, and that comes from creating, that comes from experimenting. Hi guys, it's Harry here, the producer of the Axos podcast, and this week I'm introducing our shout-out, where we give somebody from the IT service management industry the opportunity to share a little bit about themselves and tell you a little bit about their story. This week our shout-out goes to Stephen Mann, who's a principal analyst and content director for one of the best ITSM blogs out there. Stephen can tell you more about that in his own words. Hello, I'm Stephen Mann. I work for myself. I work for a company called Quick Content Limited, which nobody needs to know about. There's a more visible face to the company, itsm.tools, a website where we share IT service management or service management best practice information. As to what I do, the short answer is I write stuff for a living. I write about service management best practice a lot these days seems to be about digital transformation, artificial intelligence, employee experience, enterprise service management, of course, as well. In terms of highlights, the one that really sticks out for me, and I remember it at the time as being something that made me feel really, really proud. It's probably because I didn't have kids at the time, so it was a, a surrogate parent thing, was that I used to have a team of service delivery managers And it wasn't long after I took them over that I didn't even think it was my idea. I think it was my boss's idea that we all went to get ITIL qualified, ITIL V2 at the time. It was 2002, 2003-ish. And every single one of them passed. And it was such a good feeling. I I mean, we did it properly. We we, we did the training courses and and the rest of it. So, uh, But it was just so nice that... There were a couple of people who hadn't worked in IT for very long and they really doubted that they could pass. And it was so nice that, you know, they were so happy that because they put the hard work in and because of the day job they've been doing for, let's say, the last six months as well, they knew enough to pass 
and uh, yeah, to get a a hundred percent pass rate for for the whole team was was really really nice. To think of a a business challenge, probably juggling juggling multiple projects. I think I quickly worked out that that really wasn't alive for me. Project management, I couldn't really deal with the frustrations of things not moving as fast as they should be moving. Uh, that's that's probably the biggest challenge. Just trying to appreciate that. Even though it might seem easy for you in the real world, it isn't that easy, or things are never as easy as you perceive or, or hope or even wish them to be. In terms of anyone who wants to do something similar to me, so written word most of the time, I think one of the most important things to understand is that you actually know more than you think you know. So whether you want to call it imposter syndrome or, or something else, you've probably got a got a lot of valuable insight inside of you that others would benefit from and you shouldn't undervalue that of course going to the other end of the spectrum you know thinking too much of yourself is is not good either because it only takes one bad piece of written content to not necessarily destroy your reputation but to uh, put a big hole in the in the hull of it i would say so so appreciating what you do and and, and not feeling not feeling afraid to write stuff down and to share it. I, I, I remember back to the early days of doing it, and it is quite daunting because you let it out into the world and you're just waiting for people. Well, I tell you the one that you always, I used to wait for. I used to wait for Rob England to pick up on something as being either factually incorrect or even worse, stupid. And uh, thankfully, he hasn't done that yet. I'm sure the time will come, although these days he's not the IT skeptic anymore and probably uh, probably won't be doing that. But, uh, you know, that 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 was uh, probably one of the, the biggest things to to not necessarily worry about, but to at least be aware of, but also to really understand that you do have a lot that can that can help others. In terms of being a manager, I've, I've not been a, a manager for a very long time, but when I was, one of the things I tried to do was make it about the people who worked with me rather than myself, if that makes sense, that you, I've stolen this from somewhere, you're only as good as the people who work for you. So the better you can make them, the better you make yourself, which was the the sort of thinking that that I had, and and in many ways, th- there's also the other line of thinking that you know you should really treat others in the way that you want to be treated yourself, and and and, and just trying to you know you know whilst you know you the people who work for you, you know they they have it within their gift to make your life and job really hard or really easy, and uh, you know it's whatever you can do to make it the latter is gonna is gonna help them rather than ending up with a former. I'm on Twitter at Stephen Mann. I'm on LinkedIn. You can go to the itsm.tools website. Yeah, I think I'm about on the internet in various places. Hi guys, Harry again here. I hope you enjoyed that and let's get back to our regularly scheduled podcast. And we're back. So before the break, Simone was talking about encouraging resilience and creativity and that's what i'd like to explore in the second half of this this episode so that we can end on the on the positive side let's let's start with the negative 
So with this new ways of work, newer ways of working. So I use the phrase newer ways of working these days because it's not necessarily the spanking brand new one. It is newer than other ways of working, and there are other ways which are emerging as well. So I, I tend to use the phrase newer ways of working. So these newer ways of working clearly are going to set up a culture clash between uh, the uh, between different generations of professionals in the workplace. Sanjeev, in, in your experience, is is this sort of generational clash, you know, on a personal level, it would be, you know, our parents yelling at us for playing that loud music. Mm -hmm. But in the workplace, is that sort of generational clash what you think leads to this discouragement of creativity? Uh, yes, uh, that definitely plays a part, but more than the generation gap itself, it's about the kind of things that we grew up consuming, right? Uh, like, you know, when we have access to so many new information, like I, I spend all my time on Twitter, like I, I, I take in so much new information. I look at how other companies all over the world are doing it. And, and maybe like uh, at offices, not everyone has that uh, same context. So when let's say I present it, it sounds crazy to them. And, uh, and it's not like, uh, like, you know, they don't see it, but just that when you have not been kind of tuned to that environment, you're not able to see things that other people might be able to see. And I think that's one uh, reason for them to resist saying that, you know, hey, this won't work. So like when, when you're kind of putting down uh, newer ways of working, just because you're not able to see it as a leader, I think what you're really saying is, you know what, you're not allowed to experiment in this environment. Uh, just follow what we tell you to do. And uh, if there's something new, I'll tell you what, what, what needs to be done. So I think maybe uh, it's it's we are not at the same level of information that we consume. Maybe that's leading to that resistance. And I think Rob, when when you brought up this topic um, a, a couple of weeks ago, the the why do we discourage creativity? This was actually one of the things that we started to talk about. That in certain contexts, it does make sense to um, dare I say it, discourage creativity or. Uh, you know, uh, using using I, I think I think Simone mentioned liminal Kenevin, but and so to use Kenevin's language, I suppose, in the clear domain where you do have established best practice, uh, where things are set up for high volume, low margin type work, perhaps, uh, creativity might upset the natural rhythm and flow of of the work that's being done. Uh, is that something that you would support? I would. Uh, I would say that that's a that's a that's an uninteresting domain of work. So the the work that we have reduced to clear or simple to repeated defined work is what Google would call toil, and that's the kind of work that is ripe for automation and that is probably humane to automate as much of it as we can. Um, and, and so there are really good arguments for not being creative in that domain. But as soon as people work in a domain where they where it's not appropriate for them to be creative, that's crap work. That's work that is not satisfying um but i think we can still find ways for them to be creative and i always think of things like um garbage collectors who still have fun while they're collecting garbage or you know um uh, they can be quite yeah. comedians actually <laughs> yeah exactly so so within the strict rules of you have to do the following things you have to do in the following time and so on 
you know, there can be opportunities for people to still be human and we should make those as much as possible. But I do understand that, that for some work, it has to be defined and it's best if it's defined and repeatable. But the other thing is that the world has a nasty habit of not staying stable so that what is defined and repeatable today is not going to work tomorrow. Yep. So you, you can't beat all the creativity out of the people because they're going to have to suddenly be inventing new ways of working at some point. Uh, Simon, as, as an organizational coach, do you see other sort of uh, reasons why some of your clients maybe um, um, have discouraged creativity? Uh, I think part of it is because, you know, we're, uh, especially I think the larger organizations, they still move slower, right? So there's still a transition point, I guess, to if if they're moving to a different business model. This is the question we have to ask. As Rob said, there's no right or wrong. It depends on the context and the purpose of the organization as well. Uh, so I think we ha- there definitely is, there are uh, policies, there are guidelines that are in place. Um, there is a certain culture of behavior that is expected, just like we were talking about earlier about, okay, so we're, we're, we're now going to focus on doing our exams instead of um, the other fun stuff. But I, I think this is where people are starting to see that they're, the type of creativity, even in you know, a boring mode, our brains still need a break, if you like. Our brains still need still space. And quite often I've found myself wanting to do that other kind of work that gives my brain time to just sit and gel and mull where the task I'm doing doesn't require a lot of effort. And I think that's where we, uh, for example, on a support centre, it was always good to have a, you know, have people move around. If they've just done two or three hours on a very complex call, give the brain a break, move them onto something that's, uh, you know, I guess inane is probably a good word, but something that doesn't require a lot of thought energy. And it's really surprising that when you start mixing things up like that, uh, that they end up with a broader capability than what they thought they might have had. We have to remember that it's actually an energy exchange between people that comes with the understanding that when we experience something, whether it's a boring task or whether it's between other people, that we actually feel first and then think later. So I think that's just a just the way our brains work, right? So it's quite interesting whether that feeling is only a nanosecond and then it goes into the thought or whether we feel it for longer based on the context and shut down because what we're feeling is we don't want to be thinking about it. So I think that's where, you know, the different types of tasks, the way we arrange our capabilities, the way we put people towards their roles or shift them in their roles can make a real difference to generating and encouraging, I guess, that creativity instead of shutting it down. So I'm going to, I'm going to say something slightly controversial perhaps. Uh, so to the audience, if you want to let me know how controversial you thought that was, please send your responses to help at example.com and uh, we'll we'll get right on it. Um, I think part of it, I think, Simone, you, you touched upon it, uh, organizational culture. And I think there are certain organizational cultures which are conservative with a small C. This notion yes. that the firm mm-hmm. has existed, the business has existed for years, decades, centuries even, and it's built a certain reputation. Um, 
and somewhere along the way you know uh they they held on to traditions uh so everybody's sort of dressed to to kill right you know the the power suit sort of uh, mentality everyone's got the the dark suit and you know the, the only flash of color is is what tie you have um you know so i think i think there's also that organizational um conservatism perhaps yeah. and, and again I, uh, sanjeev i'm not trying to dump on india but you know i think back to a lot of the some of the companies i've worked with and you know i there's there's even the element of you know i've come across certain managers and i don't mean to paint this broad brushstroke but i've even come across certain managers who are like i didn't get a chance to be creative so why should i give you the chance <laughs> to be creative no i think that that is accurate because i remember my my first job where uh, like you know i i i didn't want to toil like i i hate doing grunt work i hate doing the same thing over and over again so i i came up with an automation to say that you know hey like you know we spend uh, 20 minutes on this every day this can bring that down to 20 seconds why don't you try it like they found a million reason to turn it down because it the just the notion of like you know not doing something that you've been doing so long it it makes people uncomfortable and if you're not able to see the long term road if you're not able to see that you're just going to think you know what this is not going to work this is too risky i think and and the thing that you said about organizational culture right, where you say okay you know they're rigid they've been doing this for a certain way for a certain time but you can think about kind of infusing creativity just like how you would ship like you know a small piece of code into production where you don't have to change the entire thing you don't have to do a rewrite but you could find small places where you could infuse a creativity step by step and over time you find that you're suddenly now doing things very differently from how you were doing it like 5 years ago and that doesn't like have to be a huge effort at one go that's ah, okay. could change so let, by itself up, up on that thread <laughs> does that not does that does that not then create the cool kids versus dinosaurs schism <laughs> No, I mean, if, if, let's say, along. yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly what I was about to say, right? And and if we if we don't make it look like that, at the end of the day, if it's going to benefit the organization, right? I mean, creativity for the sake of creativity is is going to hurt anyone. I mean, anything for anything's sake is going to hurt anyone. But if it's aligned to where both of us want to get to, in just that it's different ways, then it's just a matter of trying which works and trying which is the best, and let's all go along because when we get there, it doesn't matter how we got there. Yeah, we just want to optimize the experience that we're having. Mm. you know and and make it the best way we possibly can and that includes uh what you might you term as the dinosaurs i mean we're spending our how much of our lives at work we still want to have yes. a good feeling that we've succeeded and achieved in some way and i don't mean it doesn't have to be the giant rah rah kind of succeed i just mean you want to work walk out at the end of the day just feeling like yeah i was in the zone it felt good to be there yep. today Okay, having so, said so that there's 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 clearly a few stale pale males that are just going to be left behind i have to say the, <laughs> um i get quite despairing in some of the conversations i have on linkedin especially that um Eve, the, there are, there are, there's clearly a small percentage you know the old belk of the conservatives at the end there's a small tail at the end who are just never going to come along and i think we shouldn't waste too much energy there no we need to put the energy where it matters most definitely okay so on that note let's then pivot slightly and talk about ways in which we can encourage creativity uh in an organization but since I said I wanted to end this on a high. Let's 
within the realm of encouraging creativity, let's first just talk about the risks. Are there risks to encouraging creativity? Which I think is, is perhaps not a question we ask ourselves enough. Um, and, and I'll go first with, because uh, I see everyone thinking curiously now. Um, so I'll go first with, uh, with an example. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about, uh, Rob, you, you, you referenced toil, and we talked about how there are certain jobs, certain roles, certain workflows, which are very, um, for lack of a better word, robotic, right? It's, it's, it has to be done. There's someone there doing it, but it's something that is, has been done so many times that you've, you've sort of achieved best practice status that, you know, you first do this, you don't then do that, etc. That muscle memory, uh, mental muscle memory creeps in, if you will. And I think there is a risk to encouraging creativity in the, in, in a place where creativity is perhaps uh, more detrimental than beneficial, where disrupting I, that. I really don't. This I, might I, be. I really don't think that's true. I think that those people need to keep their brain alive, and they'll do it in ways. But even while they're doing the right work, they'll do other things, like we said, like find ways outside the particular flow of work. But also, the much vaunted Japanese culture is that. Nobody is doing a job too mundane that they shouldn't be thinking about how it could be done better. And, and I think we lose the potential to improve as soon as we tell these people, don't you dare think, just turn the handle till you're dead. We're actually killing the potential that they, the people doing the work, will recognise the potential for an improvement. Okay. Think of risks like... Um... You know, because we know that highly creative people, are, you know, they are the risk takers because they're putting new ideas out, they're trying new things. You know, there is a risk inherent in anything we do. Um, uh, but, you know, risk management is not, it's no different to gambling. Um, think of it this way. Um, how much are you willing to bet? But it's, that's one side yeah. of it. But think of it the other way. Not just how much you're willing to bet. How much can you afford to lose and I think there's a different context when you look at it on both sides how much have I got to bet but how much am I willing to lose if it goes wrong because in going wrong am I willing to learn the lessons is it a great opportunity to try out or it's do you know what in that particular context uh, we have to look after the money that the people have invested with us and that's not a good risk for them. So there are different contexts and different, you know, guidelines that yeah. need to be yeah. sort of put into yeah. play but, but, but to it's understand not, it's, that risk taking. It's not risky to say, think about your work while you're doing your work. So exactly. if people are if people are doing a simple rote job that it's really important that they stick to the dance, then you then you make sure they understand well it's why it's really important to stick to the dance. But that's not the same thing as saying don't you dare think about what you're doing while you're doing it. Exactly. Is, so is I there think a that risk then to uh, the sort of organizational uh, change management side of things? In that, you know, you try and experiment uh, with with ways to be creative as, as Sanjeev was was suggesting, but that experimentation is uncomfortable to certain people in across your organization um so is there like an organizational change management related risk where people might lose confidence in the direction of the organization they you know um 
they might think that you know this new way of working is not cut out for them and they choose to exit taking with them a lot of the wisdom skills capabilities that they've cultivated over the years uh the, the problem might happen sorry uh, uh the problem might be in ways ways of positioning it right let's say if, if you're going to stand up and say you know i'm i'm trying something completely new it's it's creative and if you're only going to position the creative aspects of it people people are going to raise the red flag right but let's say we we position it in a way of the benefits for them as well as the organization and like you know not uh, talk too much about the the creativity aspect of it at the end of the day the outcomes matter and if you're going to be creative about it let's do it but that's not the purpose being creative is not uh, the end goal right okay now creativity is the way we get there it's mm. part of the way we get there it's 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 not that is not the beyond it's not the goal itself it's just a part of who we are and how we go about doing it so it's yeah. like you know if i'm at work i want to know i do I feel like I'm making my dreams come true here? Does it feel like I'm making a difference with what I'm doing? And even if it's thinking about making what I'm doing better, it's like any, like, look at the art of dance as, you know, Rob, you've brought up before. It, we can practice that and fine tune, refine right? We're not rethinking how we're doing something. We're refining how we do something. And there's a real art to doing that in itself. And it could just be becoming creative in the way we situate a particular task. So yes, we're still making a change, but we're we're feeling better about it and making it run smoother. And if you want that smooth experience, then you're still going to need that thought pattern around thinking, how might this be better? Whether, you know, for me and whoever else is involved in that. Okay. So, so let's just say then that we have somebody who's, who's listened to this entire series and say, you know what, I completely agree. We need to be more creative or unlock that creativity in, in my team, the team that I'm managing or, across my peers, uh, et cetera. How would you suggest they start? I mean, they, they have to start somewhere. They have to start somehow. Um, so, Simone, how, how would you suggest these organizations, these teams, sorry, these departments make that, le uh, that, that, that leap into the unknown? How, should, how would they go about doing it? I think first and foremost, um, you know, a healthy mind largely relies on building healthy, meaningful relationships with those around us. And this is, I think, organizations, the first step is to understand what is that relationship nexus within, whether it's that team and growing outwards to the other teams, what it, how is that nexus across the organization? Because we need to be spending more time connecting with others because our creativity comes not from living in our bubble. Our, you know, creativity is so. I shouldn't say it doesn't come from our bubble. It's already there within us. But if we want to instigate that uh, broader perspectives and understanding and new ideas that actually inspire and help us flourish with those experiences, then we need to be connecting with others across the organisation. And so that's the first place I do like to look at is how siloed we are or how collaborative we are. And that to me helps germinate an environment in which creativity can start to flourish. That, that, that is a very, very useful and practical suggestion. Um, Sanjeev, what about yourself? Um, how would you uh, suggest uh, managers 
uh, who want to encourage that creativity mm-hmm. go about doing it. All right. I think uh, if I'm a manager, the first thing is to accept the fact that as I move away from ground reality, as I move like you know towards management, the best solution is not going to come from me. Which means that I have to trust people who are working in my team, who are closest to the problem, to come up with the solution. And if I am not able to see something that you know they're able to see, I should just help them to get to a point where like you know it's it's not risky. At the same time, the output is visible, like an MVP of sorts of that idea, right? Encourage them to the point where they are able to take it forward, come back with the result, and judge it based on the result and not uh, based on the idea or the approach itself. I think that's that's kind of what I would say. Okay, um, Rob, I, I saw you nodding along, and I'm no doubt. Yeah, I, I love both you've done of those. Unicorn, you've probably encountered this yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, and I think the, the for me the starting point with a manager um, would would follow on from both of those would be that uh, establish psychological safety, make people feel that it's safe to have an opinion that it is safe to think, that it's safe to, to, um, to offer solutions and advice because um, uh, permissioning, you know, people need to feel that, that, that um, they're allowed to and relate the other element of psychological safety, of course, is embrace of failure, that they know that if they do say the wrong thing or try something and it doesn't work, that they're not going to be punished. And, and so, and there's probably some others we could think of, but they're all elements of, um, and, and then, you know, and the safety to connect to others, as Simone said. So they're, they're all elements of creating an environment where people feel safe to be creative. I think to me, that's the starting point. That it, so, especially so I, if there's I, a I history. I want to throw an idea out there then to, to uh, on that on that note, I want to throw another idea out there to see what 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 the, the panel thinks. You know, I I do see a lot of people talking about uh, psychological safety for teams, uh, encouraging people to to take these small risks and and learn from uh, from failures and and so on. But what does psychological safety for that manager look like? Because at the end of the day, the organization has entrusted responsibilities and resources so that that manager can get a certain outcome from mm. their team. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I think thinking back to a lot of uh, experiences I've had in organizations that discourage creativity, I think that that fear of the failure from the manager sort of saying, if I don't hit you know, my OKRs or produce that much, that much uh, of a book, that much sales across the team or, you know, um, ship uh, or release a particular product on time, then it's going to look really, really bad for all of us. So I think there's an element of psychological safety that has to go uh, vertically as well. But mm-hmm. isn't there a sort of a slightly practical element here that the organization is expecting you as a manager to produce these outcomes yes and i think uh, you the, said uh, yeah ahead. you said that right the outcomes right i think that that's what matters and uh, i think as a manager maybe this is a newer way of working for the manager right your your job is not just to get the outcomes in the way that you want your job is to get the outcomes in the best possible way right and i believe that 
arriving to that best possible way cannot happen if you don't encourage creativity in your team if you don't encourage people to come up with newer ideas better ideas and if you don't encourage them to try it out and show result i think it's part of the manager's job i would say that if they say that you know what is this fails i feel like they're not doing their job So you've got to remember what the whole thing about psychological safety is actually about having it in place so people don't have the fear of being punished or humiliated for speaking up, right? That goes for managers. Managers are employees too, right? So this is, you know, we've got to stop looking to the manager just on their own. They also have to have that environment created for them. So this is definitely got to be board level, C-level. It's part of, you know, what is the what is the intent of the organization? And I think that's where the outcomes come in as well. You know, um, I hired you as the manager and leader because you're the expert in that, not me. So I need to entrust that to you and to create that space of trust where you can go about gaining those outcomes as Sanjeev has just talked about. So, you know, this is the whole point of psychological safety. It's about removing the fear of that humiliation, etc., that can take place if you put a different idea forward. And please, another practical point: remove the punishing metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. that, that's just—they don't need to exist there. We need to start rewarding for the outcomes that work, not for the the you know, no more carrot stick. Right, just. You know, yeah. to, to, to quote what Rob said like half an hour ago, there's probably another podcast worth of content just in that idea. The whole humanistic thing about um, anybody who thinks they've got the right to punish another adult needs a severe talking to. And yet most of our organizational systems are based on the premise that we have the right to do that. And I, I like to always say that there's nothing acceptable at work that wouldn't be acceptable in other social contexts. And one of them is you don't get to punish me. You don't get to punish me in any context. No one gets to punish me except the state right? that I choose to be part of. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll say hmm. this one last thing, and then I think we need to wrap up for, for time. So maybe this is the sort of seed for the next episode. As you as you start to widen your horizons, you know, uh, individual to the team, team to the the sort of organizational unit, wider and wider and wider and wider, your scope of influence, scope of control, is is fairly well defined. I mean, it might be very uh, slightly nebulous at the edges, but it's fairly well defined. And this is okay. So this is the uh, uh, the the ad absurd, absurdum argument here so removing uh, creating psychological safety removing that fear of punishment at the manager level and then starting to build that upwards leads us to a point where you've got to be able to for example tell your shareholders that yeah we 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 didn't we didn't hit last quarter's revenue um oops but we've learned from it and you know that that is the sort of absurdist extreme of that argument but i think there's you know trying to be a bit practical here there you've got to be able no, to that is, that's, no, I, control and i think you've got sense. some really fundamental fallacies here right that need to be addressed that that would happen because we were trying to produce better results for the organization the risk is not that we try things the risk is that we don't especially in the modern world 
And so if we do nothing, we will not deliver the benefits to the shareholders. This, the, you're, you're sort of suggesting that trying things is higher risk than not trying things, and that's absolutely not true. That we have to do these innovative things in order to produce better results. If we do I think nothing, there's a fallacy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I think, as Rob said, there's this fallacy that if we don't, we'll just remain stable and we can sustain that. But that's actually not correct. We, you know, we can be stable for a certain period of time. It might sustain for a certain period of time. But as the external context around the organisation shifts, what they do is they end up, you know, going into atrophy and uh, and and then start degenerating because they've done nothing. So doing nothing, although it is a choice. Uh, eventually actually leads to degeneration. On on that ominous note then, let's wrap up here. <laughs> uh, my, my my thanks to, to all our guests. It's it's been a it's been a great discussion and I hope uh, you, our audience, has have enjoyed not just this discussion, but the entire series about creativity that we've put together. Um, Simone can be found at simonejomo.com, uh, uh, her website, from where you'll find all her social media links, uh, as well as sort of uh, uh, news about up and coming events, blogs, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, Sanjeev can be found on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. Uh, and my website. I have a website now. Oh wow! Well done. Yes, I, I remember reading, uh, see, reading. I think uh, t uh, Twitter on Twitter that you were experimenting yeah. with different platforms and and so on. Uh, so where can people find you? Uh, what's the URL, Sanjeev? Sanjeevnc.com. Sanjeevnc.com. And he also does have an Instagram account where he posts a lot of uh, Tamil movie memes. So if you're into that, you know, I definitely recommend you go check that out. And last but certainly not least, uh, Rob England. Uh, again, thank you for sparking the or laying the seed that, that led to this episode being recorded. It was a, definitely a good suggestion and a great discussion as well. Um, mm -hmm. And Rob can be found on Teal Unicorn. And let me get this right for once, at Rob underscore England on Twitter. That's me. <laughs> I got yeah, right. underscore is for the extra oomph, you see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, to our audience, we would love to find out more about how you encourage or how you've been discouraged in the past uh, at being creative in your own organizations or in a past experience. You don't have to name names if you don't want to, but we would like to find out your your experience as well. Um, so please do email them in at ask@axloss.com. You can also find me uh, on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter as at Blowboy, um, and you can comment there um, uh, and, and share your thoughts and experience as well. Really do welcome that. So um, until next time, everyone, please stay safe, wear a mask and wash your hands. Unless you're in New Zealand, where apparently you don't have to do any of these things. Do what we like. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye. Presented by Axelos.